this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and their, their effects on our work, our life and our travel in recent years. On today's show, we will be talking to uh, Dominic Furste, co-founder and CEO of Railflow based in Frankfurt in Germany. So Railflow is a startup that develops and operates one of the leading platforms of marketplace and software as a service solutions for rail freight and intermodal transport. Railflow employs uh, more than 90 people, and I know they're recruiting, so maybe that's more now. Mainly rail freight and IT experts uh, at its sites in Frankfurt and Hamburg in Germany, Izmir in Turkey, and Rotterdam in the Netherlands. So the company has over 350 customers, including rail freight operators, shippers, forwarders, and logistics service providers who use the Railflow platform. Um, so the Railflow platform, it simplifies the access to European rail freight transport while improving efficiency, sustainability, and intermodality. So welcome, Dominic, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Patrick, for the very warm intro. Yeah, you're very, you're very welcome. So maybe just to get things rolling, uh, Dominic, could you give me a quick overview of your career to date. How did you come to be the co-founder and CEO of a tech startup in the rail freight sector? Yeah, actually, I've been working in the rail freight industry already for more than 15 years. After studying finance and graduating from a business school, I started to work for DB, so Deutsche Bahn, um, in the area of corporate development. And since day one, I was always involved somehow in, in DB Cargo projects, so former DB Schenker Rail. Uh, where I um, served at the very beginning to standardize infrastructure information about constructions that are sent to the uh, railway undertakings when constructions are planned. I worked uh, for DB at, at MIT, so I went to the US um, doing some research about American class one freight railroads, and there were some interesting learnings, and these learnings were transferred into um, the new business strategy of DB Cargo at the time being, when I was also then becoming a senior manager with DB Cargo, being responsible for a big portion of this digital transformation, because this was one of my key learnings in early days. You cannot just change a business or transform processes without also change of your um, information technology landscape. Uh, and this was one big part what, which I was doing then uh, with my uh, transformation project. Yeah, I did this for quite some time. And then I became chief information officer of TIX Logistics, which is also a large intermodal operator and railway undertaking, serving there for almost uh, three years being responsible for the European transformation, closely with the colleagues from, from Italy, from the FS, who is the owner of uh, TX Logistics. And in all these years, I always saw rail freight remains very inefficient and very hard to access. And there are not so many good solution providers. I mean, the former state railroads, they had a lot of own people developing um, solutions, but this also has its limits, has its limits in terms of scalability, knowledge, also cost. And there were not so many good digital solution providers. And this was basically for me the motivation at the beginning of 220 to found Rayflow together with Osman. So, so what's your uh, current role and what aspect of your current role as CEO do you enjoy most and why? I mean, most likely I, I enjoy, of course, let's say that my role is very much cross-functional, right? So um, my, my goal is really to, to have a good strategic overview and outlook about the company activities. And they are several. I mean, one is we are a hardcore software engineering company. So we are really having the goal to build excellent software that really fulfills the market requirements, but also things already beyond existing requirements. Because you can argue not every requirement that the market 
might need is already known by the market. So we really have to have also great product vision. So this is one part I'm, of course, um, let's say sparing and supporting our um, engineering um, teams. And the other part is obviously also tough founders life is selling the solutions. So I'm very much involved also in the sales and marketing of, um, of our um, products. And this was a challenge at the beginning, but it's of course always still a challenge. So if you go to customers, of course, they don't wait for you. So you can argue everybody is hustling, busy with the daily business. And it's still a challenge to convince them about your solution, even if the solution will bring best business benefits, which is, let's say, clearly proven by a lot of reference uh, customers. But every customer is, of course, also having the obstacle of implementing such solutions. So there's always, let's say, a lot of work to be done. And that's, of course, also an obstacle for customers to change existing processes to new processes. Because at the beginning, of course, you have initial effort. And this initial effort needs to be, de be covered. And there you need to have good arguments. And there's all again the link to the engineering. What we are trying to do is obviously um, providing great people to customers for implementation that really help the um, customers speaking the language of their employees. So that's really important that uh, our folks are speaking language of the employees of the customers and this helps. Yeah, let's say settling all this and doing finance rounds, gaining subsidies, hiring more people. I mean, that's all things where you are involved. As a, as a CEO and um, obviously also part of our senior management is involved in all these things. Yeah, so you're a very busy man, I can see. So tell me, uh, Dominic, what are the issues or the problems uh, with rail freight in Europe that Railflow sets out to solve or to improve? Yeah, I mean, there are a, a bunch, obviously. So you can argue, first of all, like all industries, you are... Um, missing new talents so basically all the industries also rail freight is um, let's say having less talented people working in, in rail freight due to demography and other um, uh, developments and this means obviously you need to have the knowledge which was in mind of the people really in let's say in systems and solutions and what we are doing as railflow for various processes is exactly like this so um one big topic is a classical matchmaking problem. So meaning if you want to procure rail freight or intermodal services, you need to find the right service provider and right service partner. And that's nothing you can just find with some Google Googling and looking, hey, can I find a rail freight transporting my goods from A to B? Because there's a complex business logic behind rail freight transports and a really complex matching problem. And what we are doing with Railflow basically is on the one hand, we are connecting all the providers of the uh, European rail freight and intermodal industry to our two marketplaces, one for conventional rail freight, one for intermodal. And we have really in conventional rail freight more than 200 railway undertakings and um, rail forwarders connected, really the leading ones. There's really a very good coverage of whole Europe now in, in, uh, in rail freight. And on the other end, we are then helping shippers and forwarders to really have an easy access to the rail freight operators to request quotes, um, yeah, receive offers, negotiate offers, and really come to um, awarding of, of uh, business partners. So that's something we're doing in rail freight. And in the model, it's pretty much the same. There, you also have a lot of intermodal operators, and they are selling their capacity today to anchor customers, but not so much to small forwarders, which would need an easy access to intermodal transport as well. Meaning, if you're a forwarder, sometimes you go from A to B, and sometimes you go from C to D, and it's different intermodal operators you're using. Today, you would need to onboard with every intermodal operator separately, having a lot of effort, and you don't have a single point of booking. And what we are doing is, we are providing a single point of booking for intermodal transport to the European really intermodal um, industry, easing the access to intermodal transport and really shifting single truck units from, from road to rail. So that's the matchmaking part. The other part is for each individual company, you need to execute obviously in a 
automated way. So meaning your dispatchers, your planners, they should focus on deviations and getting even decision support for deviations, but not doing the typical work where it's like typing the yellow pages book, right? So that's something that is still happening in, 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 in Ray Freight and in Intermodal. And therefore you need transport management solutions. So we have uh, created a really great or two great um, transport management solutions, one for conventional rail freight, one for intermodal, which really covers the whole order to cash process. Meaning once you have purchased, you need a contract management to maintain your contracts really on company level and on lane level. And then before the departure of your train or intermodal units, you need to perform certain activities, uh, which includes also dispatching, planning and other kinds of activities, providing uh, certain waybills and so on. During operations, you want to monitor your trains. So you want to know the ETA of your shipment. That's something you have to do. And afterwards, when the shipments are arrived, you want to have a good and automated operational closing and commercial closing, meaning really sending invoices, receiving invoices and checking them automatically and uh, yeah, doing this really in a, in a streamlined way. And that's basically what we are doing. So we are providing transport management solutions that really are very industry specific, focusing on all the specifics of rail freight and intermodal. And the last part is um, obviously also an issue which I talked about from a railroad perspective, but also the logistics operators have the topic of selling their services. So they need to have an efficient solution to calculate offers with just a few clicks, um, send these offers to their customers, make it easy for the customers to accept these offers and avoid double data entry. So if you have sold something, the parameters of the logistics service should be obviously in your uh, IT landscape already and not be typed again by the dispatchers before they can perform the service. And that's what we are doing really, like an end-to-end -end view on let's say selling and executing rail freight and the motor transports. And when you say, when you make that distinction between rail freight and intermodal, is the distinction that rail freight is kind of A to B and intermodal is going to several places with different modes of transport. Is that the distinction? Yeah, to a certain extent. You can argue in, in rail freight, obviously you also have networks. So this means um, there can be a feeder network where you have two feeder trains and you combine them to one train in the line hall and then you go into um, different local shunting again. So um, that's basically um, in conventional rail freight, always rail siding to rail siding. So the distinction is you have rail siding to rail siding and let's say some more business specifics in terms of yeah, rail freight related activities, which also includes uh, shunting and uh, and let's say different business logic. And intermodal, um, yeah, it's definitely, let's say different mode of transports that we are connecting. So it it's, can be a rail in, in the line hall, but can be also short sea and barge and also of course combined with first and last mile via road. And these different modes of transport within given capacity have to be managed and combined to each other so that a load unit really goes seamlessly from the first leg until the fifth leg in the, in the transport and that the service partners that perform this tra transport are informed all the time. So if there's a delay on one leg, obviously the next leg and service partner needs to know that so that the train, a truck driver doesn't wait in the terminal for five hours because the train is delayed. Such things need to be orchestrated, and that's what we do with our intermodal transport. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you direct your sales effort at different entities, different actually different types of entities. So you have uh, the freight owners or shippers, the freight forwarders, mm -hmm. and the operators. So who who are the key people to influence, or is it is it all of them, or are are, are ones more of interest uh, than others, or more influential than others? Yeah, we are, let's say we are, of course, always um, learning because you can argue every partner in the value chain has its um, power 
and also is of course influenced by by the other partners. We have really drawn a matrix. You can argue in European Railway and Intermodal, you have up to 15 different roles of companies who are interacting. But the most powerful ones are of course um, the railway undertakings, at least on corridors where you only have a few. So not every railway undertaking is running on all infrastructure. So some, let's say, are running in areas where they are more powerful and can also decide the rules of how to interact digitally. Then, of course, you have the shippers with rail siding and without rail siding. Both have, let's say, impact. So the, with rail siding, these are the conventional rail freight shippers. They can, of course, ask um, the railway undertakings, please only provide me the quotes via a platform. And I don't want to have them manually anymore because it's not compliant. It's a lot of effort for me to compare this. So depending on the size of the shipper, this can be, of course, very powerful. And we have some shippers that are our customers, and they clearly demand from the railway undertakings, please only provide me the offer digitally. Otherwise, I do not accept it anymore. And that's very powerful in, in terms of change management because the railway undertakings are um, yeah, facilitating. And then, of course, you have the companies in the middle, uh, the forwarders. And of course, the ones that are having a certain um, a size and also assets, for example, freight wagons or load units, they also have some power because they own assets which the other parties don't have available. And they can, of course, also define the rules towards their customers a little bit, depending on competition and for sure towards the service suppliers, where they can also clearly say, hey, that's the way how we want to digitally cooperate with you as from now. And what business benefits can these different players achieve through using Railflow that they cannot get or cannot get so easily through other means? Yeah, I mean, other means basically means usually Word, Excel, Outlook, right? So our major competitor is Office 365. So it's not so much um, other other solutions because there are not so many and uh, the market on solutions is, let's say, for, for potential solution providers is, is big enough. So, but for sure, um, let's to go through the, the the key benefits. So for sure, for everyone, you can argue you are really streamlining to processes. So this means really the, the, we automate process steps that are simple, let's say today manually executed, but take a lot of working time of, of the employees. And we are really freeing up the um, planners, dispatchers from such um, non-waste, non-value adding activities. And um, by that, making them available for other activities. So that's a core benefit for everyone who is working uh, with us. Second core benefit uh, related to that is, of course, also transparency. So meaning if you have a good overview about whom you ask for a quote or to whom you send a commercial offer or where is my train wagon, this kind of transparency information, of course, improves decision making as well. right? So you can really see what are causing um, disadvantages, what is causing disadvantages for your company and this kind of transparency, of course, definitely improved. Then uh, on the marketplace part, obviously um, for providers, we are a digital sales channel. So this means you can attract additional customers, other customers than so far, because you cannot be visible for every uh, potential customer. So we really increase the visibility and thereby definitely give you a chance to get additional revenues and sales uh, compared to just selling manually. Um, and for the requester side, obviously, purchasing transparency is also helpful so that you really uh, can be sure that you ask the market. I'm talking many times to customers that are, of course, talking with the same providers that we have already on the platform, but these providers cannot always perform also due to capacity restrictions. And then suddenly the traffics go on the road instead of asking other service providers. And that's obviously something you can ensure with the platform that you are able to ask the market and different service providers. And by that have really, let's say the, the certainty that you get the best possible offer. And that's not only about price, price is one factor, but it's really also about availability and the whole service design. And what is your revenue model? How do you make your money? 
So in general, um, you can argue for everything that is related to software as a service solutions and also to the, let's say, SaaS-enabled part of our marketplace. We are asking for an annual um, recurring fee. That's basically. So the recurring fee depends obviously on the, let's say, size of the company, number of user accounts, and some other draws related to the, to the customer profile. For the purchase and tender management, it's definitely the requester who is um, paying there mainly, the railway undertaking. So the provider side on all platforms can always participate for free. So they can just have access to these platforms. So we will not discriminate any provider and saying you have to pay us money before you can participate. That's, let's say, the model. And only if you want many more users or you want different additional functionalities that create additional value, then we are charging the provider side. And um, for the intermodal part, we take a very small booking fee if we help them to sell an empty spot on an um, intermodal train. But in general, that's all SaaS revenues, especially, of course, in transport management and CRM. And how is rail freight evolving in Europe currently? And how are EU and national policies contributing to this change? Yeah, I mean, you can... Argue, of course, um, in Germany, um, rail and the model is still a hot topic in terms of also political development. This is also one of the reasons why the government decided to change the, the toll cost in, in Germany for, for roads. So they will almost double now from, from next year, which will, of course, help to facilitate a model shift in some areas. But you can argue it's, of course, also always still a comparison to actual market prices. So if there's a lot of road capacity available, then the road price might, might even go down. Also, there's a toll increase. And this is, of course, still influencing, let's say, the modal shift towards intermodal or against um, intermodal. That's one thing. Second thing is there are, of course, a lot of in investments into infrastructure. So there's a no new all-time high in terms of really spendings for infrastructure improvements. And this is, of course, great, but is, of course, also causing capacity restrictions for the time being, making rail freight not that easy and of course digital solutions can help here so we are really let's say proud that with our solutions we can make rail freight more easy to use in difficult times where you have a lot of constructions and a lot of let's say deviations from from plans and that's why it's good to, to have transparency so that you can steer your whole process accordingly and the third part is of course also that there are still also some, some subsidies available where the government is supporting digital uh, solutions and other, let's say, means um, to, to provide good solutions to the market. In Germany, for example, there's also now classical subsidies coming that the wagon load transport, which is one mean of, let's say, rail transport, is getting, I think, next year in total up to 300 million euros of subsidy for all railway undertakings that perform wagon load services, which is good because for some areas where wagon load was not profitable, this will help to keep wagon load uh, business running. In my work, I, I work a lot with... Uh freight owners and and shippers and particularly in the last year or so they've become very concerned about the new requirements coming in over the next couple of years in terms of um, measurement and reporting of of carbon emissions and so on so how does or how can rail freight help businesses as regards that kind of sustainability agenda with their transport operations first of all in general there are a lot of studies that clearly show that rail freight is in terms of carbon emissions nine times more effective then classical road transport. You also know that the um, energy consumptions for rail tra transport is, I think, four to six times less than for classical road transport. So this means, obviously, there, there is a big um, lever, and also some of these factors will not change that fast. So this advantage of rail freight will remain. But on the other hand, obviously, this will only, let's say, be fully accepted if transport costs are also limited to a certain extent. So even if you save CO2 emissions, the shippers are not willing to pay the double price. So there's still, let's say, price is still 
the key decision element besides all, let's say, the, the goals in terms of environmental improvements and, and so on and so forth. So, but rate is for sure a mean, and uh, that's why in our solutions, you can also calculate when you, let's say, plan a rate transport, request a rate transport, what is the uh, carbon emission footprint of the rate transport compared to a road transport? And we are, of course, also providing some statistics and analytics about that, um, because it obviously helps. And uh, of course, also, the customers of the shippers are asking for such uh, proof. What did you do and uh, to improve, let's say, your environmental footprint? Are, are intermodal end-to-end -end solutions less price sensitive? Are they viewed more as a kind of value-added service? And is that something you see and something you're going to develop? Or what's your view on that? I mean, I, I, mean, I would say overall, also in intermodal, especially, let's say the, the, the price is still a key element. So this means... I don't know if intermodal transport is five to 10% more expensive. Okay. Shippers might be willing to pay that, but if it's above this threshold, then there's a clear decision for road uh, besides all the um, yeah, CO2 advantages for intermodal. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's clearly, and, and this means really we have the situation also right now that on some lanes road is becoming so much cheaper or is cheaper than let's say more than 10% that you can really see that uh, traffics are going to road on some corridors and the volume drop in intermodal transport that's i don't know 15 percent and even partially more in europe is not only linked to less transport volume but of course also really linked to to price of course there's less transport volume but then the issue is of course then let's say the remaining truckers they want to of course utilize also their machines and then they make good prices on road first and then uh, the remaining volume goes to intermodal so then uh, strategically for for your business for rail flow what what does the future look like i think first of all um the rail freight market in europe is already a 21 billion euro market so it's a big market and it's a really analog market so it's really really analog in terms of solutions that's why our goal is obviously to convince more customers to go with our solutions gain a lot of business benefits and improve their own competitiveness i mean that's of course our goal and we will, on the one hand, let's say, focus here really on large scale forwarders and, and shippers and also railway undertakings because we really have the means to solve complex issues. But on the other hand, also provide really very standardized solutions for small shippers and forwarders to really ease access also at very low unit costs in terms of, let's say, digital solutions so that everybody has a chance to access this. And I think there, Railflow is on a good way. It's, of course, still way to go. That's really, it's not like... Everything is already always working out perfectly. We also have research and development risks and challenges in engineering and a lot of things we, we have to cope with. But I think we are really on a good way and definitely have to target to be really the European market leader here. That's okay. really the, the leading platform for rail freight and the model in Europe uh, and really not only covering the marketplace topic because platform is always marketplace for many people. For us, it's not only marketplace. It's really also having a good software as a service solution and combining marketplace and software as a service solutions in a smart modular way i think that's really our usp where we gained already a lot of customers and we'll continue doing so interesting so as we as we come into the last few minutes i maybe change tack a little and just like to get your personal view on a few aspects of maybe your own development over the years and the things that have been going on in the in the wider world so what what would you say is um important life lesson that you've learned along the way that has stood to you throughout your career there are a few, but uh, for, for sure, one is definitely you need the right partners. So I think we have great success with Rayflow, but that's not because only Dominic and Osman did such an amazing job, but it's really also, let's say, we convinced the right 
people to go along the way with us. So that's definitely a lesson. And I think also all the successes I had in my past career were really related to working with the right people at the right point of time. Also having, let's say, um, personal mentors for different uh, topics and also being a good mentor for one or the other. This is what's Although it's, it's beginning to fade into the rear view mirror now, thankfully, but the experience of the period of the COVID pandemic, 2020, 21, 22, mm -hmm. did that change? Did it refine or reinforce any of your own personal views or beliefs about work or about life or about business? I would say it was already changing before COVID. So meaning, I mean, I was, let's say, I, I started my career really with a Monday to Friday office job. You had to wear a tie and it was all very formal and, <laughs> but it was also nice. So you saw your colleagues every day, had a really good relation to them. But over time, this changed already that um, working, at least in my previous jobs, became more hybrid. So really, meaning you go to the office, you meet, but you also have the chance to work from other um, places. Let's say this kind of freedom also motivates many people so you really have more, more motivated and people also producing at the end of the day more output than in the old environment and my belief was always when we found Rayflow, we should also provide such an environment of hybrid uh, working because we will attract better people who are more motivated who are really willing to go for the extra mile and then it was more let's say a coincidence that at the time where we founded Railflow in um, May 2020 this was really like the covid period where we started the business uh, that our model and what we wanted to do anyway perfectly fits to what happened anyway yeah and i i mentioned in the intro i i read out four geographical locations that you mentioned and you've got something like 100 people so i guess that they are probably in those ge different geographical locations working every day for rail flow is that is that correct absolutely absolutely i mean we even have employee employees sitting in, in south africa and one other person in, in chicago so there's really that's and, and we still find a way that these people our people meet frequently also really on site really in in person we are also moving now into our new 250 square meters office at the house of logistics and mobility in frankfurt from january 1st so we still want to have space to together in in person and also more often than in previous years so we i would like to increase this number of personal touch points while still keeping a lot of freedom um, for the employees so there we have to find a good balance and we will really decide this also team by team so because we are really working totally agile organized in teams and of course, within one team, you have to find the same rules and, and logic so that people cooperate in the best possible way. So outside of work then, when you're not working or thinking about work, if that ever happens, um, what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> I would say working now. I mean, <laughs> it, it, for me, the, the whole rateful thing feels like a, like a, like a hobby, obviously. Yeah. So it's really um, fun working with these people. No, but in my, in my spare time, obviously, we, I, I personally travel a lot. I work from, well, I am not only working, but also being in South Africa, a couple of weeks per year in the summertime in, in France, trying to go sailing in winter skiing and, uh, I don't know, trying to really go also, I think that's also something I established from COVID on, going to the gym at least two or three or sometimes even four times per week in the evening to really get moving a little bit instead of just sitting in front of the <laughs> desk. And so I would say it's a good, good balance I found for myself so yeah. that I really have a good level of energy every day. Are you reading or listening to anything at the moment that you find particularly interesting or inspirational you recommend i mean there are there are some of course um, podcasts i'm listening to it's more like a german ones like the omr podcast which is really um uh, famous i also just read the book about deep work again like really i mean because you can argue really also in our times you have a lot of noise all the time around you 
And if you want to be successful, also also in our business, you would really need to find your own, create your own environment to have time to think and to really work focused and concentrated. Because my own experience is really, it takes some time until you come into a, like a stage of working where you really create creative results and really, let's say, outstanding results. And creating such an environment while you always have a lot of noise also in my position around you, that's something I'm trying to figure out for myself. It's like one of my targets for next year to come more into a deep dive um, working mode for myself instead of being in meetings and with all, a lot of noise all the time. Yeah, And I can really work on this book. So and, and the book is called Deep Work. Exactly. Excellent. Okay. Well, many thanks, Dominic, for being here with us today. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with you. We could we could go on, but the clock is against us as, as always. So thank you again for being here. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find the full series of close to 140 episodes now of Interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, Keep well and stay safe.